Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. This is where Thanksgiving really begins, isn't it? Well, now, if you're referring to the Aurora Roast Turkey, I can put a... Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving to you. I'm Terry Stacy. I'm grateful that you're here with us as long as you can stay. You know, here's a story. My grandma used to have WIBC on in the kitchen every single day, all day. She never turned it off. So I remember as a kid hearing this very station on in the background, even on Thanksgiving Day. It is a busy travel day on the roads. AAA says the worst time to travel today is between 11 and 3 p.m. Sunday will again be one of the busiest travel days of the year. In fact, last year, for every 100 people who flew on Thanksgiving Day, there were 177 people flying out on the Sunday after, according to TSA. So they're expecting the very same for Sunday. You coming downtown tomorrow for the Circle of Lights? We'll plan to get here early. We've got high school football championship games. We've got Pacers hosting the Nets at 8 o'clock. Got a lot of people downtown, so take it easy when you get here. It is Thanksgiving, and we're going to talk about traditions of the season, like coming downtown for the Circle of Light celebration. For so many of you, your Thanksgiving Day begins by doing something good for others. And the tradition of participating in the drumstick dash goes back 20 years. It began at 9 o'clock this morning, and before the event, I spoke with Steve Kerr, the race director and founder. The drumstick dash raises a ton of money for Wheeler Mission, and I asked Steve how much participants have raised in 20 years. Somewhere upwards to about $10 million, which is obviously a significant amount of money for those who are experiencing homelessness in our community. That's amazing. And congratulations, because Thank you. this idea of inviting people, I remember this, and I was on the radio when this all started. And this, <laughs> yes, I- this idea of inviting people to walk or, or run in the morning of Thanksgiving Day, I, you know, I just didn't know this idea. How did this happen? Actually, 21 years ago, my wife and I were in Cincinnati with family, and we were looking for a race to run. And we found a small event up in Miamisburg, Ohio, a turkey trot. So we went up there, and it turned out to be not so small. About 4,000 people were in costumes and having a ball on Thanksgiving morning. Like, what an incredible concept. And Wheeler Mission had been looking for a signature event for quite a while. So I brought this back to Indianapolis, and I pitched it to my boss. He said, yeah, let's give it a shot and see what happens. And I called in a couple other folks uh, that I know in town, race director and, and some other folks, and we said, let's try it and see what happens. And lo and behold, you know, first year we had like 1,200 people. And we said, someday, someday maybe we'll have 5,000 and, and look at us now. That's a great story. This has become such a tradition for all ages, hasn't it? Families, everybody come out year after year. Yeah, it really has. And that's our objective from day one to make it sort of a quirky, fun, family oriented event. And we've got a, you know, we've got a good number of runners who are lining up up front wanting to catch the turkey, going for a trophy. But I think the majority of our crowd is there just to have fun with family before the feast. I agree. The drumstick dash. Explain what it's like. It is. 10,000 to 15,000 of your best friends lined up in Broad Ripple uh, on a, 
you know, either cold or not so cold Thanksgiving morning, depending, and uh, just a party atmosphere. This year we've got a pre-race concert with the Dew Band. We've got a lot of fun things going on this uh, this year because of our 20th. Um, and so it's just going to be a party, party atmosphere this year. And you've got a goal this year of how much? We uh, Our goal this year, we'll probably raise close to a million dollars, and our goal is probably between – Fifteen and 16,000 participants. Uh, you should go to drumstickdash.org and you should take a look at the pictures of how awesome this event is and how much fun it is. 100% of the money raised helps Wheeler Mission serve those that are experiencing homelessness, and that's men and women and children. And I can't imagine, Steve, you, you know they're busy with these temperatures right now. Yeah, we really are. Um, I mean, we're still serving you know, uh, more than 300,000 meals every single year and providing more than 250,000 nights of shelter here in Indianapolis and in the Bloomington area. So the need is still significant. And that's one thing we love about this event is it's cause-related. Wheeler Mission owns the event. Uh, it, it, none, none of the money doesn't go out of state. It stays right here with Wheeler Mission. I was trying to explain to somebody the other day. I said a Wheeler Mission has been around as long as I know, I remember. How how many years? Uh, we were founded in 1893. So you know, you do the math. It will be what 125 years. Oh my goodness! Next year. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's amazing and sad at the same time that we still need to have a place like Wheeler Mission. Grateful that it's there. So glad that it's thrived all these years. We're, you're still dealing with, with homelessness and always will Absolutely. be. Always will. I think that's true. I think that's an absolutely true statement that we will always uh, be, be serving those in need regardless of the environment, the economy, etc. There will always be people in need who need the services of a Wheeler Mission and organizations like Wheeler Mission here in our community. Yeah, well, we thank the good Lord that you're there. Drumstick Dash celebrating 20 years. And in this season of giving, remember Wheeler Mission. You know, donate items or cash or get involved by volunteering. And how to do that, again, can be found at wheelermission.org. Bless your heart, Steve Kerr. Thank you so much and have a great time. My pleasure. You too. Have a great Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you too, Steve. Well, a lot of you started the day with a run. Uh, not only the Wheeler Mission Drumstick Dash, but the 19th Family Fun Turkey Run at Perry, at Perry Meridian High School happened this morning. The L Gravy Chase in Lebanon. The Z Gravy Chase in Zionsville. And the Turkey Day 5K in Greenfield. So good for all of you that raised money for your communities this morning. Congratulations. I bet you're hungry. Bet you're ready for that Thanksgiving Day feast. While some are running and walking, we also have Hoosiers that are marching. The Carmel High School Marching Band is in the Macy's Day Parade. And coming up, my conversation with their associate band director, Chris Crakey, just before they left for New York City. Thank you all so much for joining us on this Thanksgiving morning. You're listening to 93 WIBC and WIBC.com. Happy Thanksgiving from all of us here at 93 WIBC. I'm Terry Stacy, and the Carmel High School Marching Band took their talent to New York City and is performing in the Macy's Day Parade. And just before they left, I spoke with Chris Crakey, Associate Director of Bands. Our conversation began with congratulations for earning the Bands of America Grand National Championship just 11 days ago and asking him what makes the Marching Greyhounds the best. 
It's the kids. Um, we have a, a great staff of people working with them. We've got incredible parent support, incredible support from both our school and our district administrators. Um, but the kids are the ones that actually bring it all to life. Um, so when we're doing our competitive shows or we're doing the performances, obviously in New York with the Macy's Parade, the kids are the focus of all of that and everything that we do. And they're really special. You know, they just do an incredible job. They work very, very hard. Um, we started in May on our competitive show. have also been working on all the Macy's stuff, obviously. Um, they've put in about 650 hours of rehearsal since May um, in all kinds of weather and all kinds of time. Um, six days a week, spend a tremendous amount of time together, and they just do a great job. You know, that rehearsal you're talking about, that's really an important part of it is rehearsing and practicing in weather because you don't know what oh, it's going to be, right? I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, we were, uh, we were outside last night <laughs> working on all the Macy's stuff and about 28 degrees in the dark with the snow falling, so they they persevere through everything. We hit all the seasons for sure. How long ago did you get word that the Marching Greyhounds were selected for the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade this year? It's actually been quite a while. Um, we actually found out um, in the winter of 2020. Um, we were actually selected to be a part of the 21 Macy's Parade. And because of all the pandemic and everything, they pushed all the groups back. They didn't do a parade in 20. Um, so they pushed all of the groups back a year. And so the groups that were supposed to go in 20 did the parade in 21. And we've now pushed back into the 22 parade. Okay. So we've known for quite a while that we were doing the parade, um, but we're really excited for it to finally be here. You know, Carmel High School is one of nine bands to receive the invitation and the only one from Indiana to march in the 96th edition of the parade. And you you need that time, I think, because the school was given $10,000 from Macy's to help cover expenses to make the trip. You've been in fundraising raising mode, I'm guessing, for the last year. Oh, for sure. For sure. We've got a great booster organization. Um, the kids do a fantastic job. We want to make sure that every kid has a chance to go. Um, and so the fundraising, the bulk of that is going towards scholarshiping students, making sure that we're trying to keep the cost down for everybody, but also making sure that we're supporting those students who have a little additional need to make sure that we can get everybody on this trip. You know, what kind of fundraising do kids do these days? Are you selling uh, <clears throat> gift wrap? Are you using chocolate bars? <laughs> what, what, how do kids fundraise these days? We definitely have some of that. Um, our biggest one of the year, we do a car raffle annually every year. We actually started doing that um, in 2013 when we did the Tournament of Roses Parade. And uh, we've done that car raffle pretty successfully each year. Um, and that is our major fundraiser for the year. But we've obviously got several things that are either sales-based things or event-based things. We do a community night where we have several food trucks here um, and, and charge a little admission into the, the area where those trucks are at. So. We've got a lot of different ways that we, we raise those funds. This is not the first time for Carmel High School Marching Band to perform at the Macy's Day Parade. It, how long ago was it when they were there before? And were you a part of the band then? I was. I was. I've been here for 29 years. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been a little while. Uh, <laughs> we did the parade in 2011, so it's been 11 years. Um, and it is absolutely one of the highlights of my career. Um, I can't wait to get to New York and have this group of kids see the spectacle that is the Macy's Parade in New York. Um, there's a couple million people lining the parade route um, from Central Park West all the way down to the, the Macy's flagship store at Herald Square. Um, and then, obviously, 
obviously millions more watching on TV. So it's a significant performance and just a ton of fun. Yeah. And obviously getting to share New York City with a group of kids. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. I travel there quite a bit. Um, but we've got about 70% of our group that's never been to New York. Um, so there's obviously a lot to see and do surrounding the parade also. And we've got a great trip planned for the kids. Tell me about the first time that you went in the, for the parade with Carmel <laughs> High School Marching Band. And how long is the route? It's a whirlwind. Um, there's there's a very early morning rehearsal for NBC. Um, so the production that you actually see on TV is at the very end of the parade. So you start the parade route up on Central Park West, um, up near the Natural History Museum. And it's about a two-and-a-half-mile parade route down to 34th Street at Herald Square. And then at the very end of that is the the green street with the star on it that you see all the, the performers on TV. On yeah. TV. And you actually are in kind of a quiet zone. It looks like a parade on TV, um, but actually it's a, a very staged event once you get to those TV cameras. Um, and it really, the, the 2011 performance had a lot of highlights. One of, the, one of the biggest things that I remember about it was in the parade route itself being very surprised by the crowd being vertical. Um, obviously, with the size of the buildings lining the streets and stuff, um, there are a lot of people up, <laughs> hanging out of windows and on balconies. Oh, yeah. um, and then on every cross street, just 50, 60 people deep, just trying to catch a glimpse of what's going on. Um, everybody's super friendly. It's a it's a very big holiday in New York um, and very well supported by people attending the parade. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait for all of you. This is Chris Crakey, Associate <laughs> Band Director at Carmel High School. What will you be performing? Um, we got uh, a couple of pieces that we're going to play in the parade itself. Um, one that's a holiday celebration um, and then a drum cadence that we'll use to kind of break things up a little bit. And then we've got a great arrangement of Winter Wonderland um, that we're going to be doing on the NBC part of the production um, that our former director of bands, Richard Saucedo, arranged for us. So it's going to be pretty special. Oh, boy. When do you actually go? Uh, we leave on Tuesday afternoon after school um, and drive overnight on charter buses. Oh. And we'll arrive in New York on Wednesday morning early. Um, then we've got a full day of kind of tourist stuff on Wednesday. Get the kids in bed pretty early. Um, part of that process is a rehearsal for the NBC production at, uh, I think our scheduled time is around 3.30 in the morning, um, which is actually kind of fun. It's an early morning start to things, but it's neat being in the city when everything's not happening. Um, and then... Uh, just a few hours later, once the parade starts, seeing millions of people in the same spots that were completely barren a few hours earlier. Oh it's probably like IndyCar drivers when they say how different it looks at the track when they're mm -hmm. just practicing. And then the day of the Indy 500, then looking and all the stands are filled and it looks completely different. Yep. And uh, it must be similar to that. What an incredible life, once in a lifetime experience for all of you. And that success you talk about and you being there for 29 years, you have to be such a, um, and so proud of the success because you're so much a part of it. What are you most looking forward to this particular trip? It's, it's once again, it's the kids. Um, and getting them to be able to experience this yeah. is one of our goals. We try to take a major trip like this once every four years um, so that each class of kids gets at least one opportunity for kind of a large-scale travel experience like this. We've done a lot of different things in the past, um, but the Macy's Parade is one of the, the real highlights for me. wanted to make sure we got this group of kids a chance to see that again. That's fantastic. And how many are going? 
Uh, we're taking just over 300 students um, and about 35 chaperones and 20 staff and administrators on our main trip. So we've got about 380 people um, on our main trip. And then we've got a fan trip going along also um, that's got about another 400 and quite a few supporters that are just going on their own also. Okay. So we have a big contingent from Carmel up there watching the parade live um, and obviously quite a few more watching on TV back oh, home. Oh, sure. Oh, my goodness. We are so proud of you. And we want you to have just the best trip and a safe trip and look forward to seeing you all on television. And thank you. Thank you, Chris Crakey, for what you do for those young people. I mean, it's really such you're such a, an important part of it. And Chris, thank you. Have- all right. Thank you very much. Indiana is filled with fantastic high school marching bands. In fact, Mount Vernon, Decatur Central, and the featured Whiteland High School Marching Band are performing in the Philadelphia Thanksgiving Parade this morning, too, which I do believe is also televised. Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about holiday shopping because I found a gift guide filled with only Made in America merchandise. Thank you for joining us here on Thanksgiving Day. You're listening to 93 WIBC and WIBC.com. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Good morning. It's Terry Stacy with you this Thanksgiving Day. We are encouraged to shop local this holiday, and I think really most of us want to support products that are made in the USA. Well, the 2022 Made in America Holiday Gift Guide is now available, and here to talk about it is the president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, Scott Paul. Thanks for spending a little time with us, Scott. How are you? Terry, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Now, before we talk about the gift guide, I understand that there is some new poll findings that show shoppers say they have a difficult time finding gifts and other merchandise made in the United States of America. So what needs to happen to make that easier? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there is a an amazing sentiment for Made in America out there. There are people want to buy it. People especially want to buy it around the holidays. Eighty percent of uh, consumers that were surveyed said said yes to Made in America, but unfortunately, uh, only about fourteen percent say they see a lot of American-made products when they're out shopping uh, at the holidays or any other time during the year, whether it's in bricks and mortar stores or online and so our message to retailers is if you stock more made in america products you're going to get more sales you're going to get more consumer interest in it and so uh, we've tried to put together uh, gift guides in the past Uh, we've done it for nine years we have a new one this year but just in general i think that especially after the last couple of years and what we've been through you know buying american and having those jobs here that we're supporting uh, and also giving a gift that's delightful uh, are, are things that we ought to get behind. But it's really difficult, Scott, to find out where products are made when we shop online. And I don't know if you have any suggestions on how to find out where products are made. Yeah, yeah, Terry, it's still a big challenge. And part of that is because of the law. Now, if you go into any shop uh, and or even a grocery store, 
uh, and you're physically picking up an item, all you have to do is find the label, and there's a requirement in law for the country of origin, whether it's made in America, assembled in America, or made in another country. But that has to be right there, uh, visibly on a label. There is not a requirement like that if you're shopping online. Uh, there is no obligation uh, that retailers or sellers have to disclose the country of origin of where where something is made. And, and we see it particularly with patriotic items that people get upset that they bought something with the flag on it and they discover it's made in China after the fact when it shows up at their door. So this is a problem that's trying to be solved in the law. It's going to take a new law to do it, and it's called the Country of Origin Labeling Online Act. It has bipartisan support, and we know there's consumer support for it. There's like uh, eight in ten voters support this idea. It's one of the great bipartisan ideas out there. But it, it's still a challenge. And, and my advice for consumers right now, uh, and, until there is more disclosure requirement, uh, is to, if you can't find it uh, when you're searching on an online website, is uh, ask uh, the vendor. Ask the vendor directly. Uh, and uh, it takes an extra step, uh, but oftentimes you, you'll get the answer. All right. So we love that you've put this this gift guide, making it available for us. And again, this is the 2022 Made in America holiday gift guide. Tell us about it. Absolutely. And so just so folks know, we do this as a public service. We don't get a single penny of revenue out of it, but we just want to connect consumers uh, with Made in America gift options that have been curated uh, by our staff from uh, submissions around the country, including a lot of folks who gave us these great ideas. And so we have well over 100 ideas for gifts from every single state uh, in, in the country. Uh, and they come in all shapes and sizes and price points from little stocking stuffers uh, to uh, toys for kids to uh, nice artisan crafts that would delight any sort of recipient. Uh, and we think that if you take a look at the guide and it's sorted by state, uh, that you can kind of see the diversity of products out there. It's on our website, AmericanManufacturing.org. And we also have cataloged the, the past sites that we've done as well. And so put together, you know, we have thousands of gift gift ideas, but we've curated uh, just over 100 uh, for this year's That's guide. fantastic. And so if anybody that's a vendor right now that is thinking, oh, I wish my name was in there, I wish my company was in that gift guide for next year, do they come to you? Or as you said, you have a staff that actually goes out and looks for these products? Yeah, absolutely. If they're if they're in touch with us, they they go to our website. Uh, there there's a uh, there, there's a there's a an opportunity to submit ideas, and that we vet it to make sure that it's truly made in America. But that is available. And in the interim, we have a general made in America directory, uh, and they're they're welcome to be part of that. Uh, until the next gift guide season rolls around. Okay. All right. What is the website, Scott? The website is AmericanManufacturing.org. Okay. AmericanManufacturing.org. You're the Alliance for American Manufacturing. What do you all do there? So we are a uh, public policy organization that promotes Made in America. And we work with both parties, uh, Democrats and Republicans. We work with both business and labor uh, to make progress on getting more factories in the United States, getting more jobs, and fundamentally what it means for everybody, even if they don't work in the manufacturing sector. And I know a lot of people in Indiana do, so it's very important for that reason. But even if you don't, it's important 
primarily because we think that having a strong manufacturing base uh, helps to protect our national security, our health security, uh, and also uh, helps to build up the middle class uh, in this country, which I think is an idea that everybody can get around. What we've been through, as you mentioned, over the last couple of years and with supply chain issues, it's really been eye opening for us as consumers to know that, you know, why are we making certain things overseas? Why can't we get these things? Why are we not making them here in our country? And I'm curious to know if you know if more of those companies, American companies that are making their products overseas after what we've been through over the last couple of years are thinking about bringing everything back home to our country. The, the answer to that is an emphatic yes. There are more companies than ever that are looking to reshore some work to the United States. Uh, and there's a number of factors for that. Part of that are, are all the supply chain disruptions. We saw part of that is the kind of instability that you see in China with respect to welcoming uh, uh, companies from other countries there. Part of that is because we're building up a, a new manufacturing ecosystem uh, in the United States, and there's never been a better time to cr try to locate uh, production here uh, in a number of different product categories. And I know that just in Indiana, we've seen announcements for semiconductor companies uh, and, and things related to electric vehicles uh, and, and, and much more. And so I think that we're just at the tip of the possibilities here. Uh, but I do think that the, the trend of massive amounts of offshoring and shipping jobs overseas is gone. Uh, there'll still be some, no doubt, but I think that now it's gonna be a two-way street uh, and we're gonna see some of those jobs uh, come back uh, to the United States and to Indiana. That's great news. And you know, uh, for any of you that want to truly support products made here in the United States, you now have this at your fingertips. The 2022 Made in America Holiday Gift Guide brought to us by the Alliance for American Manufacturing. And how do we get to take a look at this guide, Scott, before we let you go? Yeah, it's, it's very easy. It's on the front of our website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Uh, it is easily searchable by state and also by product category. And no joke, you can find everything from uh, cell phone covers that are made in northern Indiana to chapstick that's made in Virginia <laughs> to, uh, to, to, uh, to coats for your pets that are made up in, uh, in Minnesota to these really interesting shot glasses that are made in Wisconsin. But man, I tell you, the, 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 the array of products on there uh, blows me away every year. Uh, and I'm grateful for all the submissions we get because there are some really, really cool gift ideas. And, and the thing about this that is so specialized, and obviously people want the latest, greatest electronic thing or the, or the toy, and that's all great. When you receive a gift that's made in America, there's always a story behind it that's really interesting and it, it delights and it surprises and then it gives you that good feeling as well of knowing that you're supporting uh, the job of a neighbor or, or uh, the, the stability for a community uh, and that's something uh, intangible uh, as, as well and it's something wonderful uh, about holiday gifts that are made in America. The 2022 Made in America Holiday Gift Guide. Scott Paul, President of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Thank you so much for taking time out for us today. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays to you and your family. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Together, I know we can keep it made in America. Coming up, we'll talk turkey, the star of Thanksgiving's Feast, next on 93 WIBC.
93 WIBC. It is Terry Stacy. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. Let's talk about the star of the Thanksgiving dinner table all across America, the beautiful turkey. Joining us from Indy Parks and Recreation Ornithology Center is Donna and Aiden. They are naturalists there. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving. And Donna, the earliest turkeys evolved in North America about how long ago? Well, we have evidence, fossil evidence, from about five million years ago of ancestors of the turkey. So we know that they were in in North America for a very long time, and they are endemic to this continent. Yeah, so that's around like prehistoric mammal time. So when we had mastodons and other kind of large megafauna, our continent. What makes them so special? So turkeys are extremely charismatic birds. One of the crazy things that I learned is that apparently the male turkey's scat is J-shaped and the female is spiral-shaped. And that is one of the (laughs) ways of differentiating sexes of turkeys from each other, which is unique to lots of birds. (laughs) <laughs> that that really is special. The wild turkey here in North America is present in all of our hardwood forests, and we see them foraging on the forest floor, looking through the leaf litter, scratching like a giant forest chicken for insects. They are a important food source for coyotes, maybe foxes. A giant owl might take it down a turkey. And they are also just beautiful symbols of our national heritage. Donna, do we have a pretty good-sized wild turkey population here in Indiana? Yeah, we have wild turkeys in our hardwood ecosystems. We have them at Eagle Creek Park on the west side. There's been a few sightings. There's also some at Fort Harrison State Park. Um, The turkey is of least concern. Their population is stable here in Indiana, although they are at risk for localized uh, population decline because of habitat destruction and overhunting. I think there's a perception that turkeys are stupid. Are they? I absolutely disagree with that. They are intelligent beings that live communally in groups. They're very social and have uh, complex social structures. So the females will all hang out together and the males will hang out together. They get together in breeding season, um, but they have excellent eyesight and they're constantly scanning for predators. They roost in trees at night to deter predators. And they're not only beautiful, but they use that social group to have a stronger awareness of their environment, which makes them a very intelligent species. I'm starting to see more turkey vultures, at least in Hancock County. Is a turkey vulture related to a turkey? And if so, could you eat them? (laughs) That's a really funny question, Terry. I would absolutely (laughs) not eat a turkey vulture. Um, The turkey vulture gets its name not from its taste like a wild turkey or a domesticated turkey, but because they have that bald head that a turkey, <laughs> you know, that looks yes. we have in Indiana. Yes. Uh, and then they also kind of walk like a turkey and scratch the ground sometimes like a turkey. But turkey vultures are not a delicacy. I definitely do not recommend eating turkey vultures. Okay. But are they related to the turkey, the wild turkey? The turkey vultures are not related, uh, but like Donna pointed out, they have the physical features of a wild turkey. So they got that red bald head. Um, They have kind of, you know, kind of claws on their uh, feet, similar to turkeys, but they are very separate. The turkey vulture is an amazing animal. And a fun fact about them is that they actually projectile vomit to deter (laughs) predators. So they will um, eat 
dead carrion or, you know, scavenge for dead animals in the forest or on roadsides. And they have a really acidic stomach that allows them to not get sick, even if they're eating all the gross stuff. And that disgusting stomach acid of theirs <laughs> is a big deterrent. So if they projectile vomit in your direction, you're not going to want to hang out with that turkey vulture, are you, Terry? No, I'm not. <laughs> that is a fantastic fact. We have Tilly, the turkey vulture, right outside the ornithology center, and she is present year-round. Um, you can see her right outside of the observation deck. She's amazing. She is a little diva sometimes, but she is just our special little girl. Is it true or false that at one time it was thought that the turkey would be our national bird? So it is actually true. So Benjamin Franklin, as a matter of fact, um, was actually pushing for the turkey uh, for the national bird. He was against putting the bald eagle as a national bird because he thought that the bald eagle was actually a thief and would always kind of scare other birds away from food. But the turkeys were a perfect symbol of the American hardwood forest, and they were beautiful. You know, they had beautiful uh, display feathers and community values, and they he just thought that that would be an amazing national bird. But everybody laughed at him when they when he suggested that. We've got Donna and we've got Aiden here. They are naturalists with Indy Parks Ornithology Center. You especially want to give wild turkeys their space and breeding season during April and May. You might hear their gobbling in the forest. Just give them some space because they need lots of area to feed and take care of their young. And you might see them roosting in trees, so make sure you give them space. You can visit the Ornithology Center at Eagle Creek Park year-round. We're open 10 to 5, Monday through Saturday, and 1 to 5 on Sunday. And if you'd like to meet Matilda, the turkey vulture, you can come to Raptor Feeding Time every Saturday at 2.30 p.m. We're going to do flight training demonstrations, and feed her for the public every Saturday. So come on out, bring your family. Before we go, I have been doing turkey impressions as long as I can remember. Let me. Can I do it for you? I'm so ready. Okay, here it comes, guys. Ready? Wait. I do it every Thanksgiving. It's done with a glass of water. Um, you can fool a turkey with that. I'm usually better at it, but my neck isn't in the right position. Okay, now, really, before we let you go, why can't you take a turkey to church? Why not, Terry? Because of foul language. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Donna, do you have one? Why was the turkey put in jail, Terry? I don't know. Why was the turkey put in jail? The police suspected foul play. <laughs> It never gets old. Aiden, do you have one? What do you get if you cross a turkey with a ghost, Terry? <laughs> what do you get when you cross a turkey with a ghost? I don't know, Aiden. A poultry geist. <laughs> a poultry geist. See? The naturalists are funny, too. Donna and Aiden from Indy Parks and Recreation Ornithology Center, two of the best naturalists we've got. Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving. Appreciate you spending so much time with us today. Talking turkeys. Thanks, Terry. Yes, thanks, Terry. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This whole world, what is fair? We walk the line.
93 WIBC. It is Terry Stacy joining us now is our friend Bo Rayleigh, the founder of Exercise Inc. Bo, happy Thanksgiving week to you, my friend. Hey, How are you? I'm great. You know what? I'm. You want me to tell you all the things you're not supposed to eat on Thanksgiving? Well, we already know. I guess we kind of got it. But if you want, do you? This I'm is not your talk about that. Okay. No. Oh, good. No. Talk about Thanksgiving. Okay. Okay. And you know, at Exercise Incorporated. Our goal is to make people healthier. And right. so we work not just on getting them stronger and helping them lose weight. We work a lot on their attitude, their mental attitude, and things to do to just make you healthy. And it's Thanksgiving. And I know there's going to be turkey, there's going to be pie, there's going to be football. This holiday is about being thankful and about being grateful. Gas prices are high and inflation is high. That's all I've talked about with my friends for the last six months. And I realize. It's not that bad. It's actually really good. Because when I look back at what, at 12 months ago, yeah, 12 months ago, we were still in the middle of a pandemic. Yep. My whole family had COVID last year at Thanksgiving. And as a small business owner, I was still scared to death about what, what was going to happen to my business. In 2020, when the, when the pandemic hit, we just had the best two months we've ever had in our business. And we shut completely down. And then we opened back up. We opened at 25% capacity. And then after a few weeks, we went to 50%. And then we tried to go to 75%, but only 60% of our clients came back. Through that entire year, we struggled. And by this time last year in 2021, we still only had 80% of our clients back from the shutdown. And so this time last year, we were still having to wear masks. Schools were still getting shut down. You know, we had all this going on 12 months ago. It seems like so long ago, doesn't it? It does seem like so long ago. I think back to that, I'm like, holy cow, this time last year, I was still scared to death about, is my business really going to pull out of this thing and make it? And lo and behold, by the grace of God, that big wave, that last wave ended like mid-February. And by March, lots of people were ready to come back to the gym Believe it or not, by March of this year, our business finally recovered from where it was pre-pandemic. But as I look back at the two years, I have a lot to be thankful for because that entire two years did a lot for me as a business owner. It caused me to be a lot stronger. I had to be a lot smarter. I had to be a lot wiser. And I had to depend on God a lot more to get me through things than I ever had in my entire life. The other thing that we had to learn as a small business, we had to learn to operate a lot more efficiently. We had to get a lot smarter about how we ran our business. And, you know, as I look back at at that, so many of us complain about where we are in our country right now Mm -hmm. and inflation and gas prices. Stop and look back at where you were 12 months ago or 24 months ago. And my goodness, we've come through so much and we have so much to be thankful for. In spite of what we think, we live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world and we have one of the best standards of living of of anybody in the world. Uh, Robert Emmons is one of the leading psychologists who researches gratitude. And he says, taking time to be grateful in your life is extremely important to your psychological health because it causes you to do two things. One is... When you're grateful, it causes you to stop and look at your life and realize that, yeah, you have a lot of good things in your life. 
even though we tend to complain a lot, we all have a lot of things to be thankful for. And the second part of being grateful is we recognize that the good things we have in our lives, most of those are not because of us. Most of them are because of something somebody else did for us or somebody else helped us or the fact that God gave you something in your life or need to be grateful for. And psychologists are actually now using gratitude as a way to help a lot of people overcome depression. And I use that attitude a lot for me as a small business owner in the last two years trying, you know, trying to navigate everything that happened. One of the things that I did, I took this challenge. There's a website called The Art of Manliness, and they had a, they had a challenge called 30 Days to a Better Man. And one of the things they, that you had to do in this challenge was to make a list of the 10 things in your life that you're most grateful for. So I, I made that list, and I keep that list on my computer desktop. And the list has changed a little bit over the 10 years, but not much. And every morning, every single day of my life, when I wake up, one of the first things I do every day is I I open up that list on my computer of the top 10 things in my life that I'm most thankful for. And I read through that list every single day. Yeah, I thank God for those 10 things in my life that I'm most thankful for. At this time of year, It's so easy to get caught up in everything that's about to happen, but it's an important time to stop and be grateful for the things in your life. If you want to make a habit of being grateful, there's a a really good journal. It's a journal called the five-minute journal. It takes you on a six-month journey of every day you spend about five minutes reading about gratitude and you write something about something you're grateful for in your life. One of the biggest ways to be grateful, especially this time of year, is to do things to help other people. Many of us try to abdicate that by making donations, okay? Psychologists tell us that what's more important is giving of something that you have a limited supply of, and that's your time. We all have a finite amount of time in our lives, and when you take two hours of your day and you go help a friend who really needs some help, go down to Wheeler Mission and help out for a couple of hours. That kind of gratitude does more to help you than giving financially. And a lot of times it does more to help other people. So this year at Thanksgiving, I'm not going to tell you what to eat and what not to eat because we talk about that all year. (laughs) So take some time this week to not just give financially, but give of your time to somebody who might need your time. Happy Thanksgiving, and uh, enjoy your turkey, uh, enjoy the pie, but take time to think about what, what this time of year is really about. Thank you, Bo. It is 1059-93-WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hello there and happy Thanksgiving. I'm Terry Stacy, and we're so happy that you're able to spend a little time with us today. I love Thanksgiving. You know what smells the best on Thanksgiving? Your nose. <laughs> no, it's fun. Come on. It is funny. You know what's not funny? Spending time in the emergency room on Thanksgiving, and a lot of people do. Why? Food poisoning, knife injuries, 
burns. Overeating is also on the list. Alcohol consumption and overexertion. So be careful today on Thanksgiving Day because we want to see you back downtown here tomorrow. It's uh, Downtown is all decorated for the Circle of Light celebration tomorrow night. It is the 60th time for the tree lighting. Thanks to the volunteers of IBEW 481 who did the installation on a very cold and snowy day just a couple of weeks ago. Starts at 6 o'clock. And remember, the biggest change you're going to notice this year is the main stage has been moved to the Circle's South Spoke because of Market Street construction. It's back where it used to be. So have a route planned out and know where you're going to park because it will be a challenge. IMPD says they're predicting pre-pandemic crowds downtown tomorrow. High school football championship games at Lucas Oil uh, Stadium. You've got Pacers. They've got a game at Cambridge at 8 o'clock. So a lot of people downtown tomorrow and a lot of officers downtown too to make sure that everyone who comes will be safe and have a great time. Tomorrow, obviously, a big shopping day. Not what it used to be, but this is kind of interesting. Nearly 6 in 10 holiday shoppers, 59%, are likely to shop on Small Business Saturday, ahead of those who expect to shop on Black Friday, the day that has traditionally kicked off the holiday shopping season. That's according to a new uh, survey from Bankrate.com. So I hope that means that we're truly supporting local more than ever before. I hope so. Well, coming up this hour, after Thanksgiving and after Small Business Saturday and after Cyber Monday, it's Giving Tuesday. Kylan Talley will join us with what you need to know before donating this holiday season. But first, Thanksgiving is a time to express our gratitude and share time with family and friends. But Native Americans' perspectives are also important to include when we talk about the history of the first Thanksgiving. Now, November is Native American Heritage Month, and the day after Thanksgiving, known to most as Black Friday, is Native American Heritage Day. And although the Thanksgiving holiday has continued to evolve, I think it's important to understand how this holiday has different meanings for different populations. And joining us now is Carolina Castorino. Carolina, it is nice to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Will you tell us a little bit about your family history? I'm the executive director of the American Indian Center of Indiana. We're located here in Indianapolis, but we serve natives living throughout the state. I myself am enrolled with the Lipan Apache tribe of Texas, and I'm also of Mescalero Apache descent. But I'm born and raised here in Indiana. What's interesting about Indiana is that we are a total urban Indian population, which means that Indiana does not have reservations. So while we do have many people from the traditional tribes of this area who live here, such as the Miami or the Pokagon Band of Potawatomi. Mm -hmm. We also have many Native people coming from tribes all over the country living here. Do you know how many of Native Americans that we have here in Indiana? The number, it kind of fluctuates. There are a couple of factors in there. Um, We did a really big push in 2020 uh, to work on the census to make sure that Native American families were being accurately counted. The number ranges, I think, like, on the conservative end, we could say there's 50,000, but there's really more than that when we take into account um, people who are more than one race, but also from a state or federally recognized tribe or who are also indigenous to other parts of North America. That's one of the questions, because I never want to offend. Do I use the words Native American? Do I use the word uh, American Indian? Do I use the word indigenous? What is right? That's a really great question that comes up a lot. And the truth is that it varies quite a bit depending on who you speak to. So 
Generally, we don't recommend that people outside of the Native community refer to us as Indian without that context of being American Indian or Amerindian. But it is something that is colloquially used within the Native community. So we'll often refer to Indian country. And because um, Indian has been a, a political designation for identity in many laws and treaties, that is a term that is still used. Native is fine. Native American is fine. I tend to use indigenous probably more so. I'm from tribes on both sides of the border. And it's really important that people understand that indigenous people, American Indians, are really from all parts of the Americas. So that includes Canada and Mexico, Central America, South America and the Caribbean. What has Thanksgiving looked like for you, both when you were growing up and now as an adult? Thanksgiving is a very interesting topic. So there are a lot of people who believe that we celebrate it just as anyone else would. There are some people who think that we don't celebrate it. What Thanksgiving has become is really a day of mourning for Indigenous people, especially on the East Coast with the Wampanoag, who was the tribe that actually encountered the pilgrims. You know, they were the ones first impacted by that arrival. And so they um, famously lead a day of mourning, usually with different practices and ceremonies sometimes in Massachusetts. And so um, uh, usually that I think that I do believe that they do like a walk um, to Plymouth Rock and kind of like acknowledging the significance of the day and also mourning all of our ancestors who have been lost due to genocide in this country. Some people choose to not celebrate it at all because of the mythology that surrounds Thanksgiving and the basically the unwillingness for society to kind of correct those misconceptions. And then some of us also recognize that, you know, in this society that we live in, how often is it that we get a day off to celebrate with our family? We try to have give that importance that, yes, this may be a day when we do gather, but we try to remember it for its original importance, which means prior to colonial contact, it is traditional for indigenous tribes to hold gatherings to be thankful for the harvest, because that is the time of year when we are, you know, harvesting the different crops that are specific to the areas we come from. Those types of feasts and gatherings are typical in any indigenous community. And so a lot of us try to put the emphasis back on the harvest and our traditional ways. By the way, Carolina Castorino is with us and we're talking about Thanksgiving through the perspective of Native Americans. What does a day mean to you now that you're an adult and is it different from when you were a child? Sure. I think like when I was younger, you know, you don't always know the the weight of what days carry. Um, even growing up in marginalized communities, you may not always be consciously aware of kind of some of the atrocities that we've faced or obstacles our ancestors have had to overcome. So as an adult, I really focus on it being a day of mourning, taking it as, yes, this is a day that I can be with my family and others from my community, but that we are really trying to promote the idea of truth and even reconciliation where possible in that day. So what it means for me, it doesn't mean that we are policing people celebrating that day. It doesn't mean I'm going to be offended if somebody says they, they celebrate Thanksgiving. But what it, it does mean is taking that as an opportunity to dispel some of those myths and correct the record. Because I do believe that as a society, everyone benefits when the truth is accurately portrayed and when history is accurately portrayed. And so if we get away from some of these myths 
that have caused harm to our community and others, you know, we can we can move forward and have kind of a, a new collective meaning for days like Thanksgiving. And, and what I've done in my professional uh, professional life with that is I've turned it into making sure that an act of service and giving back to our community members. So for instance, we offer harvest basket assistance every year for our clients since I've been the director there. In previous years, we would provide either a turkey or a ham and a box of different canned or boxed items that they could use for their family meal. That's for me what's important because in in my community, uh, there's really an emphasis on caring for the others in our society. Um, And so I think that it's really important to take those traditional teachings and give back and make sure that we are creating our own meaning for that day. Carolina, do you have children? Yes, I have two boys. I'm curious to know, I remember when I was taught the Thanksgiving story in school, and I'm wondering if the history books have changed in telling that story. So what I've noticed is that that myth is still being perpetuated, but maybe not as not as heavily. I, I've had this issue with my own children being in school, and then I actually do a lot of school presentations. Um, I just came from one today, and I have another one tomorrow. Um, and that's the topic that gets brought up a lot. And then often educators will ask me, well, hey, even if we we know the truth about Thanksgiving, they're like, how do we teach those to our kids without getting into kind of some of the gory um, and brutal details of it. And for me, what I always tell them is, one, we can have age-appropriate conversations at every level. But two, the biggest thing we can do is to stop teaching the part that's just not true. It doesn't necessarily we have mean we have to expose kindergartners to the truth about different massacres that surround the Thanksgiving myth that exists in our country. But we can start by not telling them that this dinner between pilgrims and natives happened when it didn't. And I think that's something that's really important. So I do see that the myth is still out there, but I also see a really big surge of educators and um, and even textbook providers um, trying to at least change that narrative to something more accurate or at least reaching out to indigenous people in their communities to kind of either present or even guide them on how to touch on those topics. I do know that something that circulated on Facebook recently was that there's a school here in Indiana where they were sending an assignment home to kindergartners, asking the parents to send their kids in for their Thanksgiving Day meal dressed as either pilgrims or natives. I think that was a little surprising that it's 2022 and there are educators that don't realize that that's offensive and harmful. I, I do see it moving in a better direction, but I think that there needs to be a lot more um, collaboration with educators and parents with Indigenous people in the community. Before we let you go, how do you spend Thanksgiving Day or even the day after, which is Native American Heritage Day? So we are, I know, like, for instance, my family, we're just um, going to take a little nature retreat and uh, spend time together. It's complicated because I absolutely support people who don't celebrate it in any way whatsoever. And I also understand why people feel compelled to celebrate it. You know, in in the context of the world we live in today, a day off is a day off, a a time off to be with family. But we're like in my family, we're very intentional about it. And so we are making sure that we're honoring our ancestors 
and that we're honoring our community members, which is why it is really important to provide this assistance where we can to open, you know, offer a seat at our table for anyone who's in need. And then also to cook traditional foods more so than, uh, you know, kind of like the staples. But, but, you know, using it as an education point, too, like talking about, you know, um, turkey is an indigenous food. We didn't used to have chickens uh, here in, in, in the continental U.S. You know, that's um, something that was brought over during colonialism and um, understanding the importance of pumpkins and squash and beans and corn and how those foods are um, traditional native foods, but how they also tie into our cultural understanding of who we are and where we come from. We really do appreciate um, when people are uh, willing to learn more about our culture. Constantly I'm asked how, what can people do in the community. For our center, these programs that we offer for holiday assistance, meal assistance and even energy utility bill assistance like in the cold months of winter all of these are funded um, through donations they don't actually come from our grants we do have a food pantry um, that people are always able to come and make donations for native families um, or if they want to donate to our causes to be able to provide this harvest meal assistance we are a source of information i think it's really important sometimes to learn as well from the tribes directly. So if people are wanting to know more about specifically tribes from Indiana, you know, we're more than happy to connect them with the Miami tribe of Oklahoma, which has a cultural center here, as well as the Pokagon Band of Potawatomi, who also have a cultural center in Indiana. Go to AmericanIndianCenter.org. And Executive Director Carolina Castorino, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. You're listening to The First Day on 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Three WIBC. It is Terry Stacy. Thank you for joining us on this Thanksgiving Day. Well, after today and after Small Business Saturday and after Cyber Monday, it's Giving Tuesday. Here's Kylan Talley. Being thankful and grateful is what this time of year reminds us of. It's also the season of giving, and there's many ways to do this. Giving to charity can be one of them. And that brings up a whole rabbit hole that you might not be aware of, especially if you're passionate and caring about many different things. You may, like me, have questions like, who should I give to? Which cause? Where should I want the charity to be located? All of these different questions. And thankfully... There's people who can help answer that. We have Kevin Scally, Chief Relationship Officer at Charity Navigator, here with us. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to digging in. Thank you as well. Can you just describe briefly what Charity Navigator is for us? Yeah, Charity Navigator is the nation's leading charity evaluator. So we rate nearly 200,000 organizations to help donors find and support the most effective organizations working on the causes that are closest to their hearts. 
I heard that you guys have a brand new search feature and rating system. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so there are more than 1.6 million nonprofits in the United States. Of course, they work around the world. And that can make it really difficult to find the organizations that are you know, in your backyard or maybe nationally or internationally that are really working on the, the causes that you care most about. And so we make it a lot easier for people to be able to browse by cause area. So if you go to our site, you can search just based off of education or hunger, and you'll get organizations that are uh, serving those different areas. And then you can overlay our ratings and you can overlay the state that they're working in. Um, and then in addition to that, the size of the organization. So you can go from this very, very large list of organizations down to a finite list, and you can really find the most efficient and effective organizations mm-hmm. that are out there. How do you guys rate the charities? So it's, it's quite complex. Um, it's not based off of you know user reviews or anything like that. We, at the basic level, we look at their financial health as well as their accountability and transparency metrics. We get this information from their IRS Form 990, which is their annual tax filing for charities. And then in addition to that, we also get information from the charities directly and also from the partners. And so we look at it from four beacon areas, so four assessments. One is accountability and finance. We also look at impact and results. We also look at culture and community. So are they engaging with their constituents? Do they have good diversity, equity, inclusion practices? And then finally, we look at leadership and adaptability. Do they have a strategy in place? And how are they articulating that? And how are they actually delivering on it? I love that on the website when you're just discovering the different charities, if you're not looking for a specific cause or you want this one to search up, I love that you guys have the different categories, where to give, popular charities, best charities, and just like charities everyone's heard of, all of these different categories. And you can look into all of these different types that you might have heard of already. Something that I always worry about when I'm thinking of charities is like, what if this charity isn't legit? What if my money isn't actually going to where they're saying it's going? Do you guys on Charity Navigator make notation of these types of things, if that is actually something people should worry about? You are definitely not alone. That is a big barrier to giving. A lot of people will say, well, I won't donate because I don't know where my money is going or what it's doing. And that's what Charity Navigator actually exists to do. The way that we do that is that, again, we we list all 1.6 million nonprofits in the U.S. We rate 200,000. We also issue what we call advisories. So this is for reported or confirmed misconduct at nonprofits or even folks that are pretending to be nonprofits. Okay. So if there's somebody out there that's soliciting money, you can come to our site, you can check to see if they're legit, what their rating is, if they have an advisory, and be able to really give with confidence as a result of that information. I think, you know, one of the things that I would share is that, you know, when most people think about giving, they think about where their money's going, and that's really important. So they think about, you know, the financial health of the organization, but there are a lot of other aspects that you should consider when you're giving. You know, we consider really the holy grail of charity evaluation, the impact. And this means, like, how good are they actually at doing good and making a difference? Um, so we have about 2,000 charities at this point that we rated on impact. Um, and then there's also other things that you want to consider, you know, as far as when you're making an investment. You know, is that an organization that's going to be around for years to come? The other thing that I would say is that, you know, obviously the idea of charity is rapidly changing. Um, you have people that you know, on TikTok and they're, you know, putting out QR codes and asking for money and, you know, send me money through my cash app or send me through Venmo. And obviously it's, you know, good to, to help, you know, your, your fellow man and woman. Um, but, you know, we definitely want people to give with their hearts and also give with their heads. So, you know, make sure that you're doing due diligence, know who you're giving to um, and use resources like Charity Navigator to be able to help uh, guide your giving and make sure it's an informed and impactful.
One of the other aspects that I also see really well notated on your charity navigator is location. And that is also something that I think of, like, do I want to get to where I am in Indiana or do I want to get to Florida? Who is just hit? Does that make a huge difference for how you guys suggest giving? It definitely does. Um, so in times of crisis and during current events, um, you know, you're not alone. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people, their hearts go out to folks that are affected and they want to give to the areas of greatest need. So we do have those curated lists. Um, and it's, you know, kind of a, a debate of, you know, do I give locally or do, do I give nationally? And my recommendation on that is to do both. Um, you know, if you really care about animal welfare or if you really care about children and education, um, you know, give locally, but also give nationally or internationally. So that way you're kind of coming at it from a two pronged approach. Our, our talk station, it's a news talk format. And so we have to deal with all these different polarizing issues. So how does that feed into then giving to charities and dealing with those issues? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's really important to have folks connect with organizations that align with their passions and values. Um, we try to come from it as you know unbiased as, as possible. And so when we're facing complex issues like something like gun violence, right, we know that people really care about the Second Amendment, either, you know, hey, they're for it or they're against it. Right. And so it's a matter of presenting, um, you know, a certain angle of it to say, like, hey, even if you're uh, you know, really for the Second Amendment, I think we can all agree that gun violence needs to stop. So we'll create a curated list of charities that are working to combat gun violence. Thank you so much, Kevin. Kevin Scally, Chief Relationship Officer at Charity Navigator. My final question for you, because it is the season of giving. What does season of giving mean to you? Oh, this is a good question. You know, I think that when you're younger, the holiday season is all about getting. And then I think as you get older and wiser, it's more about giving. You know, I think about friends and family that are in my life that they have pretty much everything that they need. And it's a matter of finding ways to be able to touch them. So, you know, doing a kind kind thing or, you know, doing an experience with them. Another thing that I like to do and is really touching for people is donating in their honor. Uh, because it's not just, you know, hey, another tie for dad. It's, hey, I know I know this is a cause that you really care about. You know, make a donation that's in tribute to them. So I'd say it's giving in all the ways. I don't think I personally could have said it any better. Is there anything else you would like to remind people of as they go through their their Thanksgiving? I would just say, you know, do, do inventory of, of what you're thankful for. I mean, that's what Thanksgiving is all about. You know, and make sure that you're helping others that are in need. Thank you so much for being here with us today on First Day. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everybody. Coming up, we'll talk to the director of a new documentary about gratitude on 93 WIBC. Ninety-three WIBC. It is Terry Stacy. Well, just in time for Thanksgiving, there is a new documentary that will inspire you to appreciate all the good things that you have in your life. Here's WIBC's Kylan Talley. With Thanksgiving, you think of being thankful, but you should also think of being grateful. And Terry and I found The Gratitude Revealed, a new documentary that just released at the beginning of this month. And we have the director and writer of this new documentary here to talk about it with us. He's an award-winning cinematographer, director, and producer who just truly captures breathtaking images and stories that celebrate life. Louis Schwartzberg, welcome to First Day. Oh, it's great to be with you, Kylan. First off, can you describe what Gratitude Revealed is? 
Yeah, well, Gratitude Revealed is a, a film I put together. I've been always like interested in getting these stories of remarkable but ordinary people who overcome adversity but have a lot of joy in their life. And I've been collecting it over decades. And, and during COVID, I wasn't able to go out and film. So I finally put together, you know, this movie. And under the umbrella of gratitude are these stories about creativity, curiosity, wonder, connection, courage, forgiveness, love, mindfulness, and all that kind of adds up to gratitude. So you've got a handful of thought leaders that are, you know, that are well known, like Deepak Chopra, you know, Lynn Twist, uh, Jack Hornfield, Norman Lear, etc., Michael Beckwith, but just ordinary folk. And I guess since you're in Indianapolis, I think you could relate to it. I mean, I've got little vignettes with people from you know, the Mississippi Delta. I got a you know a farmer, dairy farmer from Vermont. I got an Appalachian rug weaver. Just you know, ordinary people that give you a glimpse into how they are passionate about their life and and indirectly how they practice gratitude. Yeah, and the pandemic really it has been difficult for all of us in many different ways. But I know we've all been able to learn to appreciate something in our everyday lives even more because of it. For example, like the simple joy of being able to see someone smile because masks take that simple thing away. A lot of people have started experiencing more depression through the pandemic and mental health has become a bigger right. conversation topic. How have you found that gratitude might help with that? Oh, it's a giant help. Coming through the pandemic and in combination with environmental, you know, degradation and, and the political discourse has certainly made a lot of us feel, you know, despair, disconnection. So gratitude is a step in, in the right direction where you can sort of pull yourself out of that negative spiral. I mean, you can't have a negative thought or feeling and a positive thought at the same time. And so the way I use it is once I find myself kind of ruminating over something that's negative and feeling rejected or feeling like a victim or feeling depressed, I think about what can I be grateful for? And there's always something easy that you can be grateful for, like the fact that your fingers move, the fact that you're breathing, the fact that you've got a trillion cells in your body that are all working in harmony. Again, another example of what we take for granted, your health. You don't think about it until you get sick. And so gratitude is something that can, you know, pull you out of that negative world, focus on what you can be grateful for. And that is an antidote, I think, to the depression and perhaps this mental crisis mm -hmm. you're referring to that people think is around the corner, given what we've just gone through. And it is definitely great timing with the midterm elections that we just had and even with Thanksgiving. Yeah. And who would you say is someone that you learned to be grateful from? Number one would be my parents. My parents were both Holocaust survivors. And so growing up under their roof, I learned to appreciate all the little things in life. Mm -hmm. You know, um, things we take for granted, like food on the table, a roof over your head, a steady job, the miracle of having children, given what they went through. So that really shaped my worldview. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I love to tell stories of people who overcome adversity, but still have a lot of hope and optimism in their life. And then in the film, there are guys like Jack Hornfield, who I really love. He talks about in the Tibetan monasteries where he, you know, he was a student once, they taught them that you know, suffering opens your heart. That's what builds character. And, and that you don't have to pray for suffering, it will come. <laughs> you know, it's like when you're cruising and having a great time, 
that's great, but that doesn't really, you know, shape you and make you a better human being. It's, it's when you go through tough times that really, I think, build character. We're talking to Louis Schwartzberg, the director and writer of the new documentary, Gratitude Revealed. You've gotten to experience all these different stories, but you also are very passionate about your specific things. What would you say is one of your personal anchors in like everyday life that you can always find gratitude in? Well, I've been having a camera rolling nonstop for almost four decades, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, seven uh, around the clock. And I, I shoot time-lapse flowers and mushrooms and plants in my interior studio because you need to have the you have to control the lighting can't have wind uh bugs or somebody stealing your camera if it's sitting staring at a flower for four days <laughs> and so what i do is i wake up in the morning and i check out whether the flower open is it in frame is it healthy um then i go out in the garden and i check out what new flowers or plants um, I'm able to audition and bring them into my studio. And I just you know, read the book about the Blue Zones, and these are like areas around the world that Dan Buechner, I think, is the author who, he, did, he researched like where people live the longest you know, for longevity. And one of the common themes or common uh, practices that is in the book is that people typically wake up in the morning and they go in the garden and they tend to garden before they have coffee or anything else. And what it, what it does, it kind of grounds you into the life cycle that it surrounds you when you're outdoors in your garden. And so that's, that kind of became my practice. I believe I don't have a formal meditative practice other than what I do. And I've squeezed 40 years of shooting flowers into about 20 hours of material. What would you say is the best thing each of us can do to make the world a better, more mm. grateful place? Say thank you more often mm. to people you love, to people who do a small act of, of, of kindness, because it goes both ways. I mean, when you thank somebody, we all know that, you know, what it's the phrase of oh, the gift of giving and receiving. When you're generous, when you do philanthropic acts, it feels good. But you're also letting that person know that you value them, that they're worth you giving your most precious asset, your time, your presence to that person. So you're helping them and you're helping yourself and you're actually helping people that are friends with you and them because when they become grateful, it spreads. Mm -hmm. And so it is a way, I think, to kind of create a more positive outlook in a world that unfortunately is buried in a lot of fear, anxiety, and negativity it takes a lot more skill, talent, and art to make someone feel and recognize beauty or make them laugh or make them cry. You know, the world is skewed in that direction right now. It's one of the problems we have of this disconnection between us and nature and i.e. each other. If we can be more grateful to each other and express gratitude to those who have helped us, who have mentored us today or in the past, then it is a way to make the world a better place. You are bringing me to tears. I wish more people were like you in this world. And I'm so happy that you're able to share conversations like this because it is needed. Look, I'm grateful for you that you're sharing the gift of gratitude, you know, especially as we approach Thanksgiving. That is the ultimate form of whether it's spirituality or whether it's religion or whether it's a meditation practice. Most 
practices, religions, when you boil it all down to the essence of what they are and what they do, it's being grateful. Louis Schwartzberg, director and writer of the new documentary, Gratitude Revealed. Is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know about Gratitude Revealed before I let you go? Sure. I mean, go to gratitudereveal.com and hopefully you might find a theater near you where it's playing or the video platforms where it's available like Amazon or Apple TV or on our website and share it with your friends and family. There's nothing better than sharing the gift of gratitude. Amen. We all need that, especially this Thanksgiving. Louis, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Coming up next here on WIBC, Chris Davis has a special for you called Land of the Indians. Tomorrow night here on WIBC, you'll catch the IHSAA 3A football championship game. That starts at 7. On this Thanksgiving Day, thank you. We're grateful to you for your continued support of all of us here at WIBC. Today's top stories are next on 93 WIBC.